Welcome to episode 129 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the oh, art and on, business of blah, wait, blah, wait, blah, wait, blah, stop, blah, stop. blah, 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 <laughs> blah. Someone's getting cozy in a sleeping bag or something. I don't think it's me. Somebody started oh. licking their microphone. That, that, I, that might... I mean, shoot, that might have been me. I, I was transferring the um, lightning cable from my iPod to my iPad because I realized my iPad was like... And this, folks, is why we record like two episodes a year. <laughs> if I didn't get a power source, I was about to cut out. Jeez. <laughs> I am totally not redoing this. This is this is this is podcast, guys. This is the podcast. So, all right, it's our new podcast, Professionalism on Parade. There you go. And uh, well, let's see who is on our illustrious. Well, besides the uh, little Miss Crinkle Toes over there in the corner, Silcar Miles. Hi. At gorblimey.com. Hey, I said it. <laughs> Patrick McAvoy. At megaflowgraphics.com. Drew Baker. I am Drew at DrewBaker.com. And I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. Did we uh, someone? Uh, oh, uh, Kieran. Kieran! Oh, Kieran, my God. KieranYana.com. You're so quiet in the corner there, man. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, we almost left a man behind. There we go. All right. Well, we don't really have a – I wanted to see what you guys have been up to, really. It's, I've been – Buried alive in deadlines. I've just been doing uh, some card art and a book cover here and uh, changing a, a dirty nappy there. So it's basically it's just me and my little boy in the daytime. It's just all I can do to keep up. But uh, I want to know what you guys have been working on. Let's, uh, let's start with uh, Sokar. What you doing? Um, you're um, hiding from the man. You've no, got, no, I am not. <laughs> Um, it sounds like I've just been dicking around lately. When in, in fact I haven't been like, I've actually been working really hard. You know, I had a deadline that was only twelve hours recently, and I actually made it. How do you? So how do you make it twelve? I, I've seen the level of detail and the amount of work goes into one of your drawings. How do you pull off a twelve-hour deadline? Um, with great difficulty. Oh wow! And a lot of swearing. And <laughs> Actually, um, it was kind of a disaster from beginning to end because I messed it up. Um, it, it was not only a 12-hour deadline, but it was a 12-hour deadline with color. Color? And I, ever, oh, color. and I barely ever use color. So I was looking, I, was, I thought I had a bunch of colored inks, but when I went into the box where I kept them, it had been sitting under a halogen lamp and all the inks were like glue. Oh, and, man. And I had finished the... I'd finished the ink part, the black ink part, mm -hmm. and I put some red on it, and it just blobbed and ruined it. So I had to. So I tried to draw the whole thing again, in still making the deadline, and I did it worse the second time around. And I was like, and then the and then the morning came, and it was time to hand it in, and I was like, so I got Claire, who's my sister and also an agent on, on the Skype. And I'm like, Claire, I screwed the pooch. And <laughs> so she and I were sitting there with like 20 minutes to go before we had to hand it in. Um, we were coloring in Photoshop together with our mice because we didn't have Wacoms. <laughs> wow. We, 
we barely made it and we turned it in and the story had a happy ending, but it was, oh, 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 and my oven, there was a fire in my oven at the same time because I put in some chicken that I was going to eat after I was done and it, it sort of burst into flames. Did I tell the story the last time we did the podcast or, or, or not? I don't think I did. I don't know. So. I wasn't listening last time either. So, I mean, yeah, it was I just... I don't think I did, but if I did, <laughs> if I did, I, I do apologize. It's just the horror of the 12-hour deadline is still, like, fresh in my memory. <laughs> I had a, you know, I had a horrifying uh, freelance moment uh, just last week. I had yeah. completed, uh, I had completed an assignment for uh, Legend of Five Rings. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a tough card. It was one. It was a job that was just fighting me tooth and nail the entire time. Every once in a while, I'd come up on a project that just wants to, it just wants to slug it out with me, Fight Club style. Yeah. And eventually, you get it done. You know, I got it scanned, and I, I, I'm working up to the bell. I got it scanned and sent in, and as I'm sending it in, I realize that neither I nor the art director realized that there was a second illustration on the br- art brief. Oh. Oh no. So, is it? Oh. <laughs> Oh, the art the art director had had t- checked me down for having received both sketches, except there was no second sketch. There was no, you know, no. neither of us realized that neither, we had not noticed another. Or he had known about it, but how do I tell yeah. this correctly? I sent in sketches for one card. He checked mm-hmm. off both card assignments as though he had received sketches for them, and didn't. And neither of us noticed. <laughs> That you know the other card was not addressed, and, oh, but uh, he was able to f- give me a, an additional week, and I managed to uh, belt it out in short order. But uh, yeah, well, you know, he was going to hand it off to another guy who was one of who you know people who kind of do cleanup. You know, they 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 just belt the stuff out real quick for uh, any last minute card assignments. But I wanted to stick it out. Uh, that was my mistake. I wasn't going to you know make him reassign it. And that came out all right. So mm-hmm. there you go. That, but that was like one of those. I'm thinking this is the first time that's ever happened to me, and, and I've, I've I've never under you know I've never missed an assignment on, on a brief. I've never done that. Yeah. You know that was it's just. Like, but all is well that ends well. So you made the deadline. You you did the work. You oh yeah. You did an awesome job. They 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 seemed okay with it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the second. <laughs> I like the second painting better than the first. So. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think and I think it's. Like, I like the feeling where you you finish something and it was a hard assignment and the client never has to know. Like, they never have to know the pain you went through. All they know is that you did it. And it's like, and, you know, you hope that they thought it was easy. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, just that awesome. <laughs> well, you, you kind of hope that uh, whatever gets you, whatever whatever the end result of your work is, at least for me, I'm hoping that there's some joy evident in it. If that makes sense, you know, it's, I think I, there is. I think um, right? I think people who look at this type of type of work, they I think they respond to it on a subconscious level. If there's joy evident in the work, I would say that's true. Yeah, so that was that was fun, but man, was it it was a nail biter. <laughs> mythic worlds, mythic worlds, mythic worlds. Mythic worlds. That is the name of the convention <laughs> that you will be attending. I was talking about and okay. and and the thing I was working on, it's a little art book full of miniatures and little stories to go along with them. Oh, how wonderful! 
That sounds and cool. That was a much more coherent description, and I'm really sorry to Kanye you. <laughs> I just wanted to say it before I forgot again. Is that is that the official verb now? You've been Kanye'd. I think so. I, I, I'm not. Actually, you know, the thing is, I'm not actually sure what he did, but I've been seeing it a lot on my Facebook lately. <laughs> so I, 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 I just wanted to use it so I could be cool. Apparently, you know, of the moment. Apparently, um, he did the same. He did something last year that. Uh, what was yeah, it like? I don't uh, know he did last year, like he got on the stage with somebody. And yeah, said, Taylor but, Swift had gotten a best video or something like that, and then he came up and. He, was that just and, last year? Wow. Seems that was like last longer. year or something. Oh, okay. I thought it was last year. No, uh, this year, of course. Like, I don't know. And this and year. He said Beyonce had the best video, video yeah. of all time. And this year, it was apparently it was Beck who had best album, and. Uh, he again, Kanye went up and felt that should go to Beyonce. Apparently, Beyonce is the only recording artist in on the in the world right now. And uh, does he have a, does he have a like a, a little crush or something? Or I I, I saw the I saw the video. It like it's like that last time he he went up and grabbed the mic from the poor woman and started babbling incoherently. Why they even let him into the Grammys again, I don't know. But this time, it was a really funny video. You can see him sort of storming the stage, and he gets like two feet away from Beck and then just kind of changes his mind. And, and I, all I can think of is he like said, oh, wait, I didn't know Beck was a man. And <laughs> backed off or something. You know, like, oh, oh, shoot. I thought you were another woman I could mess with he's in really good company with that kind of behavior though because um i think it was a, a, a some kind of reception for the man booker prize possibly the nobel prize but I, i'm gonna say it was the booker prize salman rushdie um also did something like that where he decided to jump up and he said he should have won hmm. so he didn't even do it. he was even worse than kanye because he didn't even do it <laughs> like altruistically for somebody else <laughs> he did it because he thought he should have won. He wanted it. That's weird. I wonder, I wonder how much money it is. Like, do you get money if you get that? I do maybe not he know. Was like, maybe he needed some money or something. <laughs> well, let's, let's go on to uh, another one of our uh, brilliant uh, people. What, what, I want to know what uh, Drew's been doing lately. Oh, okay. Um, I've been... I guess the most recent project I turned in was my, my painting for the Star Wars convention that's in April, uh, Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim in the middle of April. And I'm doing a limited edition print at the show. By the time this comes out, it should have been previewed online somewhere, either on StarWars.com or Star Wars Celebration's website. Does uh, it have Darth Vader in it? It does not have Darth Vader in it. I'm going to do some touching up of my life-size Darth Vader and Princess Leia portrait to take to California with me. Uh, so cool. So yeah. if anyone ha- finds themselves in Anaheim in the middle of April, come by, say hi. Okay. Check out my stuff. It's not bad. That's great, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazingly awesome stuff. That you, do. you will find it tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> it will not be the most offensive thing there. <laughs> so I've, I've been painting that. The, the original painting for the the print is actually three by five feet so it's not Yay. not as unwieldy as the life-size Darth Vader but still not not really small I figured 
that I was probably going to end up driving anyway. And since I'll have a minivan, I can put another big painting in the back. Why not? There oh, man. A, a couple of L5R tournaments in the month leading up to the show that I'll hit on the way. I'll, so I'll stop in, in, I think, Oklahoma, and then I'll stop in Utah. And then I'll spend some time in the Southwest checking out artists and art stuff and then go to California and then drag my sorry self home after four to six weeks on the road. Wait, don't you live in Utah? No, no. I have family out in Utah, but uh, I'm in western New York State, thousands of miles from Utah. Oh, I was confusing you with somebody else I know who lives in Utah. Great, now I'm confusing you with Eric and somebody else. (laughs) Well, we do sound alike, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, is that, now, would you say, I mean, is Anaheim pretty much the farthest convention you go to by vehicle? Uh, I mean, I've, I've never gone haul. that far before. The, before that, I drove to uh, Spectrum Live in Kansas City last year. Hmm. And that was that and Atlanta, I think, are like Atlanta is a 13 hour drive and Kansas City was like 16 hours. Wow. Yeah, that got pretty old pretty fast. <laughs> Did you drive across the flatlands, basically? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually chose an alternate route to Atlanta just so I wouldn't have to drive through those same highways in Ohio again. <laughs> Pennsylvania for a little variety. Well, I'm sure the way back was a total, would have been a totally different experience. <laughs> <laughs> My uncle described a drive he took through Oklahoma, and uh, he remembers there being a silo on, on the horizon, and that silo was in front of him for about two hours. <laughs> then he passed it, and it was in his rearview mirror for the next two hours. And basically, it was like the, basically the curvature of the Earth <laughs> was required to obscure yeah. that silo. And you know, oh, that's flatland. I haven't I haven't uh, done that drive yet. So I'm glad I'll be able to break it up. Like I'll, I have a, a brother in Kentucky that's like ten hours away, so I can stop there and visit him, and then I can drive ten hours to Oklahoma, and then I can drive. I don't know, maybe to New Mexico or, or uh, Arizona to visit some people out there. So I don't want to... yourself that whole way? Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had considered taking my five-year-old daughter with me. Well, uh, she can't help you drive. No, she can't, drive. but, but she can <laughs> enjoy, enjoy at least the first couple of days of dad yeah, time. She can, keep, she can keep you alert and awake by complaining constantly. <laughs> by playing <laughs> I Spy. Did, did, all, did all y'all like submit to Spectrum this year? Uh, no, no, I I don't do that. Yeah, me neither. Still bitter about the blow incident. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the the problem I think you've run into if you bring your whole family on a trek like this is that you'll be replaying Oregon Trail in your <laughs> mind. You know, you have to stop to hunt. And, well, you know. <laughs> what I what I would have liked to have been able to do would uh, bring my my five-year-old with me in the car and then have my wife fly out with the other kids while Damn. I had that time in Utah so we could spend time with my whole family visiting some relatives out there. But the logistics of that just are not easily handled. So, Yeah, road trip. Yeah. Well, the, the problem with road tripping it is I'm road tripping it because I have a seven-and-a-half-foot tall painting. So there are is one other seat in the van, right? I, st- I still I still think if you ship that in a coffin, you can kind of con the airline into a bereavement rate. Yeah. And say, yeah, we're flying home to Anaheim. I've had a couple <laughs> you know? of people want me to, to paint uh, Han Solo and Carbonite on the crate. Oh. <laughs> I heard, That's pretty I heard cool. You, I heard, actually, if you ship 
you know, if you take a dead person with you on the plane, they do, in fact, open the coffin to, to make sure that what you have in there is genuinely human remains. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. true, but I've heard. I think they would have to. But if it's not bricks of heroin, they're probably not going to care. Can you imagine that being your job, so to look at dead human beings? And then you've got to, like, what if it's just a convincing replica? How far do you go to verify? Or or what if it's somebody that's definitely having a closed casket funeral, like, for, like, you know, obvious reason? Do you think that when Harrison Ford passes away... No, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. (laughs) And when Harrison (laughs) Ford... When Harrison Ford <laughs> passes on. Oh, okay, because I had no idea what you, where you could possibly be going with that. <laughs> That's right where our brains all went, Drew. You are, you are astoundingly normal. <laughs> so I'm, I'm also doing a little bit of painting right now, tidying up a couple of things. I managed to destroy a painting yesterday. That was, oh, no. Yeah. I... I experimented with a couple of new mediums while working on that painting, and one of them really uh, dissolves easily, it turns out. It, if I, I tried to glaze over it, then it turns into a big sticky mess. It just reactivates. I guess it's got a little too much demar varnish in it or something. And did the entire painting get wrecked, or do you just have to redo an area? Or? Oh, it, you know, it's just the face, just the most important part. Just the important <laughs> At least it's the difficult part, too. Yeah, I had spray varnished it, right? and I was going to photograph it and send it to the collector who I was basically targeting with this painting, right? It was going to match or go well with the other one he bought from me. And... Uh, so I spray varnished it and saw a little hair on the face, on the cheek, and said, oh, I'll just, I'll just pick that out, and ended up wiping, digging into the whole face, uh, oh. because it reactivated the medium, that, and uh, so it went back down to, like, the greens and purple underlayer. My gosh. Yeah. Well, just to help out our listeners, this is one of those rare instances where we might actually have some... Uh, some useful information. <laughs> what exactly were the media involved? This was Michael Harding's oleo resin medium, PM5. Uh, it's got Damar resin, Canadian balsam, linseed stand oil, and double rectified turpentine. And I tried it on a couple of paintings, uh, and it really does seem to, to reactivate really quickly with anything with a solvent in it. And uh. has caused some sticky mess problems on both of the paintings I tested it on. So I intend to never use it again. If it's uh, something you use and love, let me know. I'll see about getting it to you. I mean, <laughs> what is this? I'm not being an oil painter. What is this medium's uh, purpose? Uh, it, it thins the paint. It also makes it glossier and, uh, you know, more transparent. Uh, and I think, and also dry faster, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is one of the, the mediums that actually would be setting up after just a couple of hours getting tacky on my palette. Um, but oh, okay. once I hit it with another glaze with any kind of solvent in it, it just was a gooey mess. So I do not recommend it. In fact, I, I say I have had a bad experience with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Hey, thanks. That's yeah. useful. Well, I do what I can. Make different mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> And exciting mistakes. The the artist's motto: make different mistakes each time. Hey, that reminds me, um, Kieran, 
has been working with oils for a change. Yes, he has. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wish I could do that. Talk about it, Kira. Huh? <laughs> I think he's. I think the fumes. You open a window. Crack a window, man. I'm also. I'm also hungover today. So. <laughs> oh, you poor son. I have a, a question for you, Karen. Actually, um, now as I recall, you took Donato's workshop when he was up in Seattle not too long ago. No, um, no, that was with TLC. Um, oh, uh, you took a different one with him. Oh, yeah. I took. The, I took his online classes. All right, all right. His, one of my Mark Winters talked to me about what Donato did with his palette, uh, preparing to paint, and I was trying to get some clarification on that. See if it was different than what he did in his video, because I'm not. I don't uh, understand the nuances. Uh, all I know is, I mean, um, he he just mixes, pre-mixes all his colors before he yeah. um, applies it, instead of, I guess, another alternative. I don't know enough about oil paintings to know <laughs> what, okay, okay. what's the you know what's the, the typical way or you know a different way. Um, but it, it works. It works really great for me because then I can just um, just pick from the colors you've already got. Rather, yeah, than, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then if um, there was a, a couple situations where um, some isolated colors I needed to kind of just uh, mix then and there. Um, okay. But that's one thing I'm just going to get used to doing is probably you know, mixing everything. Yeah. I think if I had a little more discipline mixing color strings, not necessarily strings, but color, uh, color field like that, preparing my palette ahead of time, I would be yeah. uh, more efficient. My, my painting time would be more efficient. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know if Greg Manchester does that, but um, he moves pretty, pretty quickly. Um, yeah. for his work too. Uh, I actually, yeah, I found, um, it, at least for me, it, it moves, um, especially skin tones, um, it moved um, really quickly for me. Donato, I mean, he does his, I mean, he works really quickly from what I, from what I know. Yeah. Um, um, and then uh, James Gurney actually works really, really, really quickly. Yeah. Which is another interesting I always thought it was just a really slow process, but, you know, I guess when you've been doing it for 20 years, it probably... Yeah, you get, you get 30 years' experience, and you can... Yeah. yeah. Those jerks. I mean... <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly. what I mean. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't quite... Uh, I guess I understand the concept of premixing colors, but that sounds very daunting. Um, you know, usually... Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll mix a couple different colors that I'm going to start putting down, but then I'll say, okay, so what's going to look good now? And I'll kind of figure it out as I'm going. But uh, um, just imagining it all ahead of time sounds very... Well, it's, it's not too hard. Yeah. It's more of adding, uh, um, just sort of adding value, uh, like, um, you know, changing the value of the color. And then at the same time, adding cools and, uh, you know, a cool and warm hue. Um, so that way, like, especially with skin tones, you know, go with, you know, um, I mean, if you're painting a, a white person, I guess it's like a sort of a pinky, peachy, mm -hmm. browny kind of color, yeah. um, you know, and then from there, you know, you add your change the, the, the value um, to a lighter and darker. And then on top of that, uh, top and bottom, you um, either shift to um, a cool or a warm. Mm. Um, and so when you when you get to an area where um, 
I'm not. I, I can't really explain. <laughs> no, I, I I think I know where you're where you're heading with that. Yeah. So yeah, it makes it makes uh, for doing um, Hue ships um, and playing with Hue uh, really easy because uh, mm-hmm. you just kind of you're in the same value, but you kind of go up and down on the on the palette and just pick from. If that makes sense, I don't know. yeah, no, that does. Now, would you do that just by area, or uh, I, the way you were describing it? I was imagining a, an entire palette laid out with all the clothes and the backgrounds and the everything. Or would you, ju- yeah. you just do that for like the face, and then you go on to the next area and you mix colors for that area? Or yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. That that's what uh, uh, it looked like. Donato, um, how Donato worked as well. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I know that he uh, will work on areas, but I don't know if he'll work on multiple areas um, that day um, mm. and so have a lot of premix palette or, or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just work on um, – I know I'll work on the skin tones first because I'm more confident <laughs> in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I, I feel better about the painting more quickly. <laughs> Um, hey, you know, you know that is uh, actually. I don't know what the rest of you think, but when you say that, it, that is how I always work. I like to do the part that I'm most confident with, and I think I'm going to hit it out of the park first, and that way I get something done that's really good, and that sort of gives me the psychological boost for the rest of the picture. Yeah, I do it exactly the opposite way. I do the hardest part where I'm most likely to make a mistake first because. If I save it for last and then I make a mistake, I could have wasted like 50 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to look at it. Of course, you're working in a very unforgiving medium. So yeah, maybe. I mean, um, although, you know, lately I saw pictures, I heard that um, Harry Clark, who also used pen and ink, like his originals are, I think, at Victorian Albert Museum or something. Um and if you take them out and look at them, they're, like, covered in white out. But hmm. ah. I, don't, I don't usually use white paper, though, so white out would be completely useless to me. Right. You need, need some sort of speckled gray out. Yeah, I need, like, yeah, sort of speckly <laughs> gray, sort of. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, that kind of thing... I feel just, that just it, it, it always it degrades with age. You know, a, a yellowness creeps in or it cracks, and I, I, I don't know. I feel that it might sort of be a cheat to people who buy the originals if they are not perfect. So, for me, the medium really is as unforgiving as it looks. It's like the the only time I fix something digitally or with like gluing another piece of paper over it is if it's like, you know, somebody's corporate Christmas card or something that I know is never going to be, I'm never going to sell the original and it's never going to be seen again. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. I tend to be, uh, that's kind of a perfect example of us making our own lives harder just for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, I, I don't know. It feels necessary if I'm going to sell the original, that the original be in a saleable condition. I just, I don't think people will be very happy if they buy an original and it has whiteout on it. I mean, 
Or they might see that as something that nobody else knows about because this is the original. This is the artifact left by the process. It depends ah. on the collector. It depends on... I on never how thought about it that way. Yeah. Maybe next time I spill something on a picture, like soda, I won't start over. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Big brown stain, coffee ring. No, I don't care. The collectors yeah. can have the garbage art. <laughs> I, I think that I... Th- go ahead. I, I was going to say, you know, we were talking, you know, how I tackle things. I, I, I'm very much a work from back to front kind of guy when, um, when I'm doing my painting. It's just, um, I find that it's, it, it means I have to do a little less corrective work on the, uh, on the back end if I'm, if, you know, I save the, almost, basically I'm saving the main figure almost as like a reward for getting through all the other stuff, you know, because <laughs> I have a lot of fun at that stage. You know, I, I really do enjoy, I, 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 I tend to enjoy most aspects of painting. I, I think I like the looseness of the, I can get into the background and I can have a bit of fun with the detailing on the main characters, that sort of thing. But, um, that's just the way I, I tend to come at it. And that just kind of trying to spare myself extra work. Hmm. But I can appreciate what you're going through, Soka. I've recently started playing around with ink. I mean, nothing to what you guys are doing, able to do, but just um, for my own sketch blog, you know? Yeah, I've seen, I, I, I saw, um, I saw one that I really liked that you did um, on Facebook, it was this guy kind of sticking his pelvis out, and he had like a hat made of hair. Yeah, well, it was like a shroud, like a, an animal pelt shroud kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I just entitled it that guy. I thought it. Yeah. I liked it because it had a lot of movement to it, and the anatomy was really exaggerated for effect, and it was working. I had, the, I had a lot of fun with that one. I thought the brush strokes were really sort of backing up the motion. Like you had the direction of the brush strokes right. You had. It was really nicely done. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm kind of wondering if I can bring some of that, um, I don't know, some of that line into my finished work, my painted work. I don't know where you know where it would fit in, but it's something I'm experimenting with a little bit. I you know I'll, when I uh, these days I start to add little bits of. I might start adding a little extra line work and to my paintings. It's very faint, nothing that would jump out graphically, but it's just kind of there to add a little subtle motion to things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I was just—I've also been looking a little bit. Uh, just recent, last few days, I've becoming more familiar with uh, Steve Houston's work. I don't know if you guys have seen his stuff, but uh, he does some beautiful oil paintings, uh, figural work, very dynamic. Both in terms of subject matter and the way in his paint application. Is he the guy at the New Masters Academy? Yeah, that yeah. guy. He does the mixed martial arts uh, pictures and the boxers and the. Okay. Yeah, I had a, a, I don't know, a trial subscription to that for a few months. It was, there's some good stuff on there. I was impressed. I may have to. Uh... What's, the What's that? What's the school called? Uh, New Masters Academy. It's a, a website, an online school. Okay. Yeah, I may have to give that a little look. See, it was uh, Chris Moeller suggested I, t- I give them a look too. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's like three hundred dollars a year, something like that. It's really yeah. But they also have like a monthly. I think they have a yeah. monthly plan. And you know, if you're if you're only going in for a few, if there are only a few videos you really want to see, then that's not a yeah. bad, not a bad trade. But compared to how a, a lot of art sites are, I was really pleasantly surprised when that's what it was. 
Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've been having fun with uh, brush inking. It was something I used to. I used to ink early on in my career, but I was. I never felt very confident with it. I didn't feel like I was uh, particularly good at it. But um, I'm starting to see a little bit of correlation between painting and and brush ink drawing. So I'm having fun mm-hmm. with that. I, but, I used uh, to draw with ink and brush a lot in art school. It's- like, I always like drawing that way. It's really good for life drawing. You know, as well, I for, in, for the shorter poses, especially. Oh, sure. You know, as I understand it, um, Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein book, I understand that he inked his, a lot of that stuff with a brush, which is just crazy to me. Hmm. Uh, where, where did you read that? I had always heard it was mostly pen. Huh. That's interesting. My son is playing with one of his musical instruments. I couldn't. Oh. <laughs> I had to turn my mic off. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I, I was. I yeah. was just asking no, uh, where you read. Oh, yeah, but where, uh, where'd you read that? I, I, I'd be I forget where I'd heard that. I forget now where I'd heard that. Oh, okay. And now, I'm, now, now it could very well be hearsay. You know, but that yeah, was just I one of those. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not doubting your word that you read it, but it sure looks like pen, and he was emulating Franklin Booth, who worked with a pen primarily. So, interesting. Hmm. I'll have to, to look at that because he does yeah. do a lot of brushwork. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Huh. How funny. Yeah. When I first learned. Um, Uh, Well, when I first learned brush, like most of us, I kind of learned it on my own. I just got a brush and started playing with ink and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when I first started learning brush technique uh, in college, it was in my uh, life drawing class where we had to use uh, large brushes to do all of our gesture drawings. And I really got the... uh, I, I got into the habit of using uh, ink brush like a paintbrush where you were putting in, you know, just areas of dark and not really worrying about lines, but worrying about areas. And that sort of stayed a habit over the years. I think that uh, it's a good habit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you need to be able to do lines with an ink brush, but, uh, you know, that, that comes with uh, just practice. But you know, I think doing uh, doing more um, uh, you know large spaces of black, you know, wor- working with areas rather than lines is something that you really need to train your eye to do. The, the lines are more like training your hand, uh, if, th- if any of that made sense. <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, okay. Okay. It's I can do. It, it, <laughs> If you want to see some really, really terrible pen and ink work, I'm your man. <laughs> I doubt that entirely, Drew. <laughs> having having seen your skill, I think uh, I think it would not be beyond you. If if I sat you in a room full, you know, with just uh, paper and ink and a brush and asked you to do something cool, I think within an hour or two you'd do it. Especially <laughs> if I told you I had your family at gunpoint in the next room. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that is extreme, right there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, incentive is always good. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we respond to. It's incentive, yeah. 
that's, I think that's more like um, negative reinforcement. <laughs> Incentive is like if you offer him something. Yes, I, you... I offer him a chance to see his family again. <laughs> oh, that, that, that is harsh. You are harsh. Well, it would, it would, harsh. I would get genius work out of him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Anyway. Yeah, I think you're all a little taken aback. <laughs> Usually it's Sokar that stops the conversation. I know. Yeah. Oh, little did I uh, know. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be on the record. That was not me. That was, I, didn't, I did not do that. Oh, man. <laughs> so, moving right along. Yeah. What are you working on, Patrick? Oh, boy, what am I not working on? <laughs> Teaching me to pen and ink, I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, just poor Drew is screwed. He just doesn't like my technique. <laughs> Some people just can't be reached. Uh, so, uh, boy, uh, I've reached one of those uh, pinch points that we all love and dread as freelance artists, which is where I've got... Uh, several jobs that I'm juggling, literally juggling all at once. You know, I have to say, okay, today I'm going to spend, you know, X hours doing this and get it out, and X hours doing this and get it out, and X hours this, and then tomorrow, hopefully, somebody will be slow getting back to me, so I'll have more time working on one of the other ones. Uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of nuts, but um, yeah, I've got a. I'm doing uh, animation slash art direction on a uh, kids uh, early reading program where I'm not doing the drawings but I'm I'm getting the drawings from a cartoonist and and doing a coloring and uh, you know cutting pieces up and adding in betweens and getting it all out to the programmers it's for an iPad app and that's something I've been working on off and on for about two years now uh, but they got a grant a couple months ago so it's really been picking up lately so it's not real creative work but it's it's uh, fun you know get to do little cartoons for kids and little games and things uh, and then I'm working on uh, something I think I was just starting the last time we were recording which is a slot machine app uh, doing art for different themes of a slot machine you know each uh, level has like roman or uh, there's old west and there's medieval so each each uh, theme you know different things that come up when you press the slot machine button you know are, are pictures that are something to do with that era plus a background um so i'm working on the um i'm working on uh Boy, uh, the Roman era, yes, uh, ancient Rome era right now on that. And uh, I just picked up a really big job with um, Pearson Education doing some whiteboard animation for them. Um, and that's just in the storyboarding phase. Um, and I'm actually going to have I, uh, an art assistant on that, my uh, former student, um, Lauren, who is uh, 
wonderful young artist, and I figured her style would be just right to do inking for me on that one. So, hooray, my very first assistant. Woohoo! And <laughs> then, uh, last but not least, I'm furiously getting stuff ready for a Kickstarter that's launching next week. Um, with uh, the same folks I did World War Kaiju with Zero One Publishing, and that uh, that's going to be a fun black and white horror book um, that is uh, uh, an ongoing series, but it's based on H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories, kind of. Yeah, uh, if you can imagine, I don't know if any of you ever saw Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, it's, it's about, you know, minor characters in, uh, in a Shakespeare play who are walking around having their own adventure. And every once in a while, they sort of come across the main play. And we're, we're kind of doing that with Lovecraft stories. Uh, we've came up, come up with a, uh, a private eye, sort of a noir detective, hard-boiled private eye who, uh, takes cases that, uh, that are tangentially, uh, uh, connected to different Lovecraft stories. And that one is really fun. I'm really liking it. I like our main character and I like the whole world we're putting it in. And I'm doing it in black and white, lots of detailed inking. Detailed for me, not so car level detail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm really, really excited about the uh, about the style on that one. And the it's a graphic novel that we're doing a Kickstarter for. And if it goes over well, we may do a an ongoing series or at least a series of graphic novels and we'll we'll see what happens. It's called uh, it's called Case Files Arkham. And uh it's uh hopefully by the time we get this uh podcast out the Kickstarter will be going so people can go give uh give us money so we can make it come to life. Um, if you go to zero one publishing.com, there'll be lots of information there and you can, you can find out all about it. And that is everything I'm working on this very minute. So it's a pretty light week for you. You're just kind of coasting along and you know, <laughs> well, that's good. You know, exactly. you got to take some time for you, Patrick, you got to <laughs> yeah, take some time for time. you, <laughs> you know, a little, a little, nothing wrong with a little bit of a rest period just to get your refuel, you know, well, he also yeah, doesn't have to hide from the snow to stay alive. This that's, is... <laughs> that's true. Hey, Hey, there's the very serious threat of heat stroke out here in California. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys have rough. <laughs> Jeremy's probably had to shovel three times since we started recording. I, I have, uh, I have, you know, the funny, here's the funny thing, you know, I rent and uh, we pay good, we pay good money for this apartment. I still find myself shoveling out our walkway. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah>. really? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually had to cancel a class uh, a couple of weeks back because uh, I couldn't get out of the driveway. The, uh, the, the ice on the slope was just too uh, treacherous. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I had to step over a pile of leaves to get to my car the other day. Did you slip on the uh, on the leaves, man? No, no, they were nice and crunchy. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> oh, I wonder why people hate Californians. I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Did I, did I tell you ever about my first trip to Southern California? I'm not sure. 
No, it was uh, in November. It was for Gen Con SoCal, one of those couple of years I went to that. And mm-hmm. I, I flew from Western New York to Southern California, you know, John Wayne Airport, I think is where I landed. And I just looked around at the weather, like, how can people stand it being like this all the time? And then a week later, I flew back to New York, where it was 20 <laughs> degrees and snowing. And, oh, it suddenly makes so much more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, those people just have a lot of character. It gets them through the hard times. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> oh, my uh, my brother lives out in California with his uh, family, and they uh, he, he just had yet another episode on General Hospital. He appeared on General Hospital yet again. Nice. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, every once in a while, during the hor- during the worst weather, we'll get an email. Yeah, we're just laying low. We're doing our best with the sixty plus degree weather. Oh, you poor guys. Man, you're so strong. The Lord will test you, you know? I tell you. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, uh, I'm, I, I had, uh, for two weeks, my class was consistently getting canceled. because Not that the, not that all classes were canceled on campus. It's just like delay starting of the day. And my class was first session, 8 a.m. Uh-huh. So for two weeks, we had not had a class. And the kids had been resting on a project and waiting for it to come in. And... Um, I swear to God, there are still folks who showed up without their stuff. How do you? How? What? You know, or they, or they, they'd forget their things, or they didn't have, the, they didn't get all the assignments done. Is it really, really? <laughs> you had a mother nature enforced extension to these projects. You can't do it. Oh my God! I know. You knew the job was dangerous, and you took it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that, Jeremy. I've been musing about teaching, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to put up with that sort of attitude. Well, you know, I think every teacher is a little bit different as to how much mess they'll take, you know, from their students. And I, my the last semester, I was I was gentle, loosey goosey, and I'm thinking. You know, I missed, I think in four years of college, I missed two classes because the alarm failed to wake me. That's not a bad record. No. Mm-hmm. Last semester, I had students who just decided, eh, I'm not going. Because I wasn't, uh, I, I, I was uh, operating under the assumption that when you pay good money to take a class, that you would show up. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't even occur to me to simply skip a class. So I, so that, I just couldn't get my head around. <laughs> couldn't get my head around it. It's probably because their parents are paying for it. That might be it. That might be it. Might be part of it. I remember I had a class. Uh, what class was it? It was a graphic design class that was just horrible uh, for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and there was one day I didn't want to go so badly that I gave myself a migraine. And then as soon as I had my migraine and then couldn't go, oh, great, it went away. (laughs) You willed yourself to illness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was a special day. Oh, man. And mine's a fun class. I don't get it. I don't get it. I can see if you want to try to, if you want to skip a gen ed. You know, oh, math 101? Yeah, I'm not going. But illustration? Come on, we're drawing monsters in class. How? I mean, honestly, what if, if that is not enough to get you to go to class? 
No. There's nothing. There's nothing that will get you to class. But uh, anywho, anywho. You know, I have to ask you, uh, Patrick. You know, when you've you seem to be having some good success with uh, with Kickstarter and one Publishing. I mean, how do you guys dist- how do you work out your uh, Kickstarters? How do you guys uh, work out your? Maybe you could go through a little bit of that. How do you work out where your goals are? How do you work out what happens after the Kickstarter, like distribution of the books and things of that mm. sort? What what is it? How does the project take? Sh- oh, that's a that's a pretty big question yes Um, it's it's huge yeah i i'd say first of all it's really good to have at least one partner to work with because it's a huge job uh in the two that i've been really uh involved with I've, i've been you know sort of peripherally involved with a few other kickstarters where you know this the company gets the money and then they hire me so you know that's sort of tangentially Kickstarter related, but for the ones that I've really been involved with, um, you know, I've had some excellent uh, partners who handle a lot of the logistical work and let me deal with uh, mostly the artwork. Um, so that uh, I can't recommend that highly enough because it is a huge job to do a Kickstarter. It's it's not just putting putting uh, you know. You're not just hanging out a shingle and, and say, "Here, come on yeah, in." Yeah, exactly. Um, but you you do have to um, uh, you know figure out not just the amount of money it's going to take for you to make the project, whatever you think your time is worth and materials or whatever. But you also have to uh, uh, account for the amount of time you're going to be spending on the Kickstarter itself. Because you're going to be spending at least a month on the Kickstarter and probably uh, more days. You know, I think it's best if you can do two months. Um, uh, almost, almost as an everyday job. I mean, you don't just sit back and let it go. You have to do publicity constantly. You have to uh, keep uh, thinking of new things. You have to sort of keep your uh, finger on the pulse of what's popular in your Kickstarter. For instance, you come up with incentives and whatnot. You know, are some selling out and some are not? You have to adjust as you go. You have to, uh, you know, constantly keep your, um, the people who've already invested, you have to keep them in the loop, let them know what's happening and hopefully get more money from them. But hopefully, you know, if nothing else, keep them from pulling out, uh, you know, so, uh, and, and just absolutely on the prowl for as many, uh, as many interviews, you know, print interviews, podcast interviews, uh, that sort of thing as you can to get publicity, um, local radio, you know, whatever you can think of. So you're, you've got a ton of time you're going to be spending getting this Kickstarter going. And if you don't spend that time, you're probably not going to get your money. Um, and so before you start, you have to uh, really lay the groundwork for planning uh, what – what uh, what are you going to show people? You know, what have you got done so far? In my case, uh, it's been comics. So how many pages do you do? You do a nice cover. Um, what sort of incentives do you offer? Uh, are you going to offer posters or, you know, what we've done are, you know, posters, um, uh, original art, um, uh, special, uh, you know, postcards, um, book Place marks, uh, bookmarks. Thank you. That's the word. Uh, 
<laughs> shot, shot glasses, logos, you know, all sorts of clever things. And you ha- so you have to come up, really do a lot of brainstorming on what is it that people are going to want for incentives. And then, okay, so you've got all that in place. You've got the time you're going to spend. You've got the time that it's going to take for you to actually create the project when you're done. Then you have to add in how much is it going to cost to print. And then you have to add in how much is it going to cost to ship? Because some people have crashed and burned and lost money when they didn't count for enough uh, time and money uh, for shipping and shipping materials. Um, And then the money to create all the incentives that you're going to give out. You know, the best best incentives are things that are going to add a lot of value for the uh, investor, but not going to cost you very much money, you know? So where's that sweet spot? In other words, if it's like uh, a poster that looks really cool, it's got great art, you've spent a lot of time creating the art for that poster, but printing it is only going to cost maybe a dollar per unit. And, you know, it's a 20 or $25 upgrade, then everybody wins. They get a really nice poster for their upgrade for the incentive, and you haven't spent a lot of money on it. You know, so the more you can balance that out rather than making something that's a $20 upgrade that costs you $18 and hasn't, yeah. hasn't actually <laughs> raised you any money. <laughs> oh, man. So things like that are very important. So you have to to really look at your finances seriously. And of course, don't forget that uh, you know, Kickstarter and Amazon are going to take 10% of your money right off the top. I read recently that they changed from Amazon payments to Stripe, I think it was. So it was down to 5%. Uh, it might it might be, which would be awesome. That, yeah. that would be great. Uh, yeah, that's how, how much I've been involved in this new Kickstarter. I'm just letting uh, the Zero One folks do all of that work right now. Yeah. Uh, so that is uh, good to know. Um, the uh, And the other thing, of course, is you have to create your Kickstarter page. That takes some time. Uh, it's really advantageous to do advantageous to do a video. So if either you or someone you know can create a good video, that's that's quite important. Um yeah, all of that stuff is really uh, vital. If you you know fall down on the job in any one place, either in uh, you know setting up your Kickstarter, setting up your incentives, uh, getting publicity, or not uh, properly planning for money, uh, any one of those legs of the chair go, and you are just not going to make it, uh, or you will make it, and you'll end up losing money. So. Uh, I really do recommend Kickstarter as a great way to work because uh, uh, you're pre-selling your product, and that's just the best thing in the world. Uh, plus, you're uh, creating ahead of time a fan base for this product that you're going to be putting out, uh, people who are going to buy it and then going to talk about it. And so you can't, you know, it's a it's a fantastic situation in that regard because you know you're not going to lose money if you've planned right and you know that uh, you've already got fans who are going to spread the word of mouth. Um, but yeah, be, beware. For for all of its good points, it's uh, it's very difficult. It doesn't always work and it has the possibility of actually losing money. Uh, if you don't plan right. So mm, that's Kickstarter in a nutshell. Any well, questions? <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, how much of the project do you have completed before you start 
promoting on Kickstarter? How much of an investment of time do you... I mean, some people have their whole project ready to go. They're just waiting funding to get it distrib- you know, printed and distributed. Right. I mean, and what, how do you guys work that? In, uh, in my case, for the two different projects I've done for comics, uh, I've done a cover and five pages or six pages and then uh, some uh, uh, promotional art. Uh, you know, like character, character studies, uh, you know, sketches, that sort of thing for promo art, uh, maybe a poster. And um, that's it. I wouldn't do any more because you don't know if you're going to be funded. And I wouldn't do any less because, you know, you want to give some you want to give people a really good taste of what's going to happen. Uh, for instance, on this one, I've got started next week. I've already done five pages and I'm in the process of doing two more pages. Plus there's a cover that's already done. And then on the, uh, the, on the other side, the writer who Josh Finney, he's a really accomplished graphic artist. He's, uh, doing things like putting together the promotional materials and, uh, the logo work and, uh, the fun, uh, you know, fun ancillary products. So he's doing all that on one side and I'm doing comics art on the other side. If it were just me, I think I'd, I'd be going nuts. I'd have, I wouldn't be able to do my other work. So, um, there's, uh, there's a lot, uh, a lot on that side. So did that answer your question? I'm not oh, sure. oh yeah. No, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it must be, I imagine this uh, approach to funding has a lot of advantages, as you point out. And I know that uh, I was just chatting with a friend of mine the other day, and I understand some of the smaller um, publishers who go the traditional route, it's not unusual for a pencil artist to make maybe $50 a page. And I don't know, going to ask what your rates are. I'm just, um, I know that sometimes mm-hmm. the rates can be quite low under the older models of publishing. And I rather wonder, I mean, if you've found that Kickstarter has allowed for, um, for better pay all around across the board for people, you know, having less mm. um, risk being associated with the project. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've been able to get uh, good rates that are, you know, competitive. They're, they're probably still not you know, Marvel or DC kind of rates, but they're definitely as good as any independent comic company can offer or better. Um, uh, not, you know, obviously again, not, not great, not like getting rich money or, uh, you know, (laughs) anything like that, but no good enough so that it does keep the doors open. And, and it's, uh, the situation is that when you build in the cost of actually printing, in this case, it's a comic book. So you build in the cost of printing a whole print run of the comic book, plus your time, plus other expenses. And so you have all of that covered and you want that covered at the minimum amount, you know, and if you have stretch goals and you make more money, then obviously you're going to expand the book, but also you want to increase your profit as, as that goes up too. It's just common sense. So, um, if you, uh, oh, let's see. So, so, uh, (laughs) 
Oh, I sort of lost the thread of where I was going with that. I may have hit that brick wall because I, I ended the thought, and I was trying to come up with an ending for that sentence, and it didn't work. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you want to get all of your your costs uh, lined up and printing costs lined up so that when you get that money. Uh, you've been paid a fair rate. And sure. I, ge- I guess to get to the heart of your question, um, if you're doing it yourself or with a small publisher, like I did with Zero One Publishing, or that last book I did, The Nain Rouge, was just me and the original novel writer. He ended up taking it to Caliber Comics uh, as a publisher, but you know the two, two of us worked out the money and, and the project on our own. Uh, if you if you do that sort of thing, you're not beholden to some big publisher that needs to make a certain amount of profit. Um, and because of that, you know, you get uh, a living wage instead of the slave wages that comics often pay or or role playing games or whatever. Uh, so it's nice that, that that by spending about the same amount of money. Uh, you know that a that a large publisher would spend. You know, there's more money going to the creators because there doesn't have to be money going to some corporate structure. Oh yeah, and yeah, that was something that's been it's been something that's been playing at my imagination. At um, I mean, one of the things that got me interested in illustration in the first place was comics. So it's my it's sort of a I'm wondering how I might find myself over time migrating towards more comic related work. I mean, I've done some short stories, and they are just voluntary efforts with friends, and which is valid. It's good fun to do things like that, but. Um, you know how it is. You want, you want. I've told myself I will not take on any comic work unless it is paid. <laughs> that sort of yeah. thing. And, yeah, and I, I did uh, two for a long time. Although I did that one uh, for Archaea, uh, the Starkweather graphic novel uh, that uh, came out a few years ago, where. You know that was that was the first time I decided to take the plunge and do a big. Uh, you know, project for a actual publisher, and that did not work out well financially at all. And so I have also said <laughs> to myself, I am not going to do any more comics projects unless I know I'm getting paid a fair rate. And uh, that's so. Kickstarter has been the way that's worked out really well. Oh, certainly. No, have any of you guys ever? Uh, I mean, I've been following along, seeing some artists have been. A few more seem to be jumping into the the Patreon side of of, of funding their personal work, and I'm rather wondering if you guys have ever entertained any of that. If you see that as a business model. Well, I think clearly it is. Sure. Whether it's, whether it's one I understand how to make work for me is a, an entirely different question, right? Sure. So, yeah. yeah. I I think it would be really interesting as an exercise to go through and see what some successful patron models look like, how they're structured. Um, but but I, I haven't tried anything like that. Just like running a Kickstarter. I haven't done my own projects yet. They're, they're sort of the to-do list for this year is uh, do my own stuff. That's cool. Do, do you have uh, any more specific plans on that? What, what kind of projects are you thinking about doing? Oh, well, uh, I talked about actually at conventions a, a mermaid project with my daughter that we're talking about doing a kickstarter for um for her book of mermaids in my print or whatever ends up being the, the final count for it 
That's uh, so cute. That's cool. Yeah, yeah so I, I took her to a couple of conventions last year. I took her to one in uh, Omaha that had me out as a guest, and then I took her to uh, IllixCon, and she got to meet a bunch of people. And <laughs> she, The first night of IllixCon, right, there's the, the drink and draw with the models, and I, I tried to, to sit her down with the sketchbook. She's like, Dad, I thought you told me we could talk to people. Uh, yeah, sure, go ahead, whoever you want to talk to. Just go up and... And try it. And she has an unerring ability to find the center of attention in any room and go talk to them. Right? <laughs> she, she surveys this, this this big open space in the middle of IllixCon, walks over to the table with all the art directors, goes up to John Shinehetti and said, hi, would you like to look at my sketchbook? <laughs> <laughs> and, and sits down and spends Jesus. hours talking with them. As the ten-year-old, it was brilliant. That's uh, that is adorable. Yeah. So so we've got that Kickstarter that we would like to get going soon. Uh, my brother is a an author, uh, an indie game, like a role-playing game. He, he's Vincent Baker of Lumpley Games, for our audience, and he and I mm-hmm. are talking about doing a project together. That is going to be. Uh, interesting for me. It's going to let me stretch some muscles I don't usually deal with. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, I, I think he's almost to playtest with his game, so I've really got to be working on that. Uh, and currently there's a, uh, a Kickstarter for the third book in Travis Heerman's Spirit of the Ronin series, his trilogy. Uh, I forget exactly what this one's called, but I'm doing a... I did back cover art for the last book, and um well, we've we funded the project, so I'll be doing back art for this one. He also used it for a like a short story book, a chat book, I think they're called, for some related stories. So I've, okay. I've brushed against Kickstarter, but it's only been at the the flat fee sort of hired gun level at this point. Oh sure. So those are those are a couple of my projects, and then you know I've got twenty years worth of sketchbooks with this painting idea here, painting idea there. The now that I'm not doing very much illustration work, uh, I should really get to doing that. You know, take advantage of those. those oh, ideas yeah. Built up. So you're kind of rebooting your uh, where you want to take your work? Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. And then uh, another project, I've actually had some, some digital artists, a couple of digital artists asked me about doing some online courses. Or I'm, I'm leaning toward instructional videos, rather, about oil painting. Uh, sure. Just focus on the mechanics of it. When the the real advantage, as I see it, to to trying to teach already competent illustrators, is I can skip step one, learn to draw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think... I have a, a friend who talked about talk, told me about one of his his friends who used to teach painting workshops, and uh, you can't tell people you're teaching to paint that they need to learn to draw. He, his attendance dropped off. People stopped hiring him. You, you can't tell people who want to learn to paint that they need to learn to draw. So I'm glad to avoid that issue if I have people <laughs> who already want to draw and just be able to talk about, all right, I've you know, been handling oil paint for 10 years. These are the things I've learned about how it works. This is you know, how the physical stuff goes together. I've already got a name for your class, man. Yeah, what is it? There is no control Z. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I was I was just gonna call it the practical 
introduction to oil painting or something like that playing <laughs> off of the playing off of the the fact that practical effects in movies are the the physical ones mm-hmm. yeah that's all you know but, it took me a moment to even figure out what the joke was there because it's been so long since i've used a computer for oh, <laughs> i to, to figure out to remember exactly what control z does yeah it is the undo right yeah yes, yes. <laughs> And frankly, if you're you're working in layers, there is quite a lot of undoing you can do. And a kneaded eraser is actually a pretty handy tool. Indeed, it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's why it's that's why it's so needed. Oh, 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 oh. Everybody groaned. That one that that one caused me physical pain. And, and everybody in the audience know that I didn't say that. That would not be that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, y- yeah. Another tip for painters: if you happen to pour oils into jars, be sure to label them, because I now have a jar full of some sort of oil that is not labeled. Here, I'll click the lid at you. That's the jar, and I don't know if it's like walnut oil mixed with gamsol or. The oil that I poured off of the top of my lead white, uh, I don't know what this thing is, so I'm going to have to dispose of it properly. Be sure to label your jars. <laughs> it's also valuable not to store it in coffee cups. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good idea. Yeah, just you know, a good tip. I always thought I was so above that that I would never be the idiot who puts their water into their mouth that they're using for... Well, in my case, the only thing I use water for is wiping the rim of the ink pot, you know, because ink accumulates and globs up there, and you don't really want it there. But, um, you know, a lot of the time I use the same water sitting there for several days at a time. So, yeah, um, a couple of weeks ago, I finally became that idiot. I put disgusting ink water that had been sitting there for Heaven knows how long in my mouth. I realized immediately what I'd done, spat it back (laughs) out again, and I went and got some Listerine, totally washed my mouth out, but I felt really unclean. Soker, you're not that person until you're that person. You know what I'm saying? How can I be that person? That person is an idiot. I know I've told the story before, but it's such a good one. It bears repeating. A friend of mine who's a sculptor who works long, long hours. This is many years ago before he became super successful. He uh, he would keep his uh, visine by his... Um, by a sculpting table, you know, because his eyes would get tired, and he'd, he'd, you know, reach back and throw throw some visine in his eyes every once in a while. Um, and one day, he reached for the super glue. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh. Oh, no. Tell me it ain't so. He dumped super glue in his eye. <laughs> So and as luck would have it, that's not as horrible as you might think. His eye was <laughs> glued shut, and he had glue in his eyeball, but he went to the um, emergency room, and they flushed it out and basically cut his eye 
uh, eyelashes off to get his eyes open. <laughs> oh, God, help us. Oh, and, uh, yeah. That person. A few days later, he was as good as new, but uh, that is that person. <laughs> Actually, oh, wow. you, know, you know, that reminds me of something that happened to me just recently, which is going to make me sound even stupider. I was um, brushing my teeth, you know, and I was using some Listerine again, and um, I, I suddenly felt an itching in my nose, and I didn't want to sneeze Listerine all over everything, so I kept my mouth shut. So, of course, the Listerine went, it, it somehow went up into my nose and my eyeballs. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And you're still alive. (laughs) Yeah, but I really used some language that would not be (laughs) welcome on this show. (laughs) Well, on the plus side, they're all unintelligible because you're basically choking them out. (laughs) So, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah, I, I really used the MF word a lot, and the WM <laughs> word, and all three B words, and, and it was just a lot of swearing. I'm trying to think of the third B word. Um, bastard. Um, bugger. Oh, Bugger. And bitch. Okay, bugger did not come to mind because I'm from the United States. Whoa, whoa, Patrick, oh. this is a family show. Ah. Okay, man, <laughs> come on. It's a family show. I like Enjoy. Bandersnatch. That's a good, uh, good yeah, one. And it sounds movie. vaguely dirty. <laughs> my, my wife, in a moment, in a, in a, well, a fit of rage, one day exclaimed, cock-a-doodle. <laughs> Best word I've ever heard. I love that that you just used that term. I love that. I love that about you, honey. Cock and doodle. I hear someone's TV in the background. I'm sure Sorry, all the folks have been mine. listening to a Peg Plus Cat going on in my background here. A popular children's show in which you learn how to solve problems using math. I have not heard of that one. Totally worthwhile. Totally worthwhile. It's a there. It's a show that makes. Not to bore the people who do not have kids, I will say that this show is actually watchable. <laughs> you'll, every once in a while, they'll make references to something that someone in my age bracket would actually understand, <laughs> and fly over the kids' heads. I don't know. I I've been really appreciating kids stuff lately more than usual because I've been feeling exceptionally old and decrepit. I mean, you know, I broke a finger last last summer and it didn't heal properly, so now I have this useful finger that points at nothing at all times. And, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's like everything is just kind of becoming grotty and old and falling to pieces and looking disgusting. And so anything that makes me feel young is appreciated so much more than usual at the moment. So there you go. Peg plus cat, Sokar. Check it out. It's on Netflix. I, I will do that. Totally on Netflix. Okay. Oh, you know, if you get British Netflix, you can watch Better Call Saul. But if you're in America, you have to wait until the entire first season is done. 
Mm. Or you can just watch cable TV. Do you guys keep this sorts of things playing in the background as you work? I, yeah. I, I, I tend, lately I've been listening. <laughs> I got uh, the uh, first Harry Potter book on audio. I've been listening to it as I work. It's uh, being recorded by uh, Jim Dale, who was a, I guess, you know, he was a Disney actor for a while. He's a British actor. And he's doing a fine job of it. Yeah. I don't know if you guys listen to audiobooks or what have you. This is my first experience yeah, with an audiobook. I probably should. Like, I always have the TV on when I'm working. I rarely actually just watch TV. Like, I don't sit there with the television on and. Hmm. So a lot of shows, like, I had to stop watching um, Boardwalk Empire and I never found out what happened because mm. if you, it's one of those shows where you actually have to be looking or you do miss important stuff that you need to know. Like a lot of shows like um, Breaking Bad or Lost or um, basically any detective show ever, it doesn't matter if you're watching or not because... All the important things, they just tell you anyway. I used to think I could have a movie or a TV show playing in the background, but it just draws my eyes away from my work for too long. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've never even tried. I mean, I just am so easily distracted. I, I like audio, but, you know, even like if I go to YouTube and put on an, an album that's on YouTube or something... Uh, mm. That that's fine, but if it if it goes to like something with the band playing live and it's got a video, it's like <laughs> too distracting. I don't know. I'm not even tempted to look. Like the first time I tried to watch Lost, it took me three times before I actually made it to the end. But the first time I tried to watch it, I got to like season five, and I was I was watching it one night in bed, and I it was just really confusing to me because I didn't know who the who the hell was who. And the characters were not at all like I imagined them. Because I never looked up, so I didn't know what anybody looked like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like Hurley especially was nothing like I thought. Like, I was visioning... You know that guy from... The absolutely horrifying guy from American History X who's singing that horrible White Man Marches On song? I pictured him like that. I never saw that movie. Then you have no idea who I'm talking about, and I don't know what his name is, so I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, this is some scintillating podcasting right here. Yeah, we're talking about our TV watching habits. I'm sure, like, yeah, I kind of drifted off so there. <laughs> really, so, uh, I, Jeremy, I listen to audiobooks. I also listen to podcasts. Uh, yeah, like, like, uh, what is the one with Neil deGrasse Tyson? Oh, uh, Star- oh, 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 Cosmos. Cosmos. Cos- Cos- uh, no, I can't watch it. Uh, Star Talk. Star Talk. Okay. Star Talk, I think this is. Ah, podcast. okay. And I'll listen to uh, 99% Invisible or Radio Lab or Welcome to Night Vale is a, ah, a serial. Love Welcome fiction. to Night Vale. What yes. is, what's that? It's sort of a, a Lovecraftian town's public radio news show. <laughs> you, know, you know what else I really it's like? It's hilarious. You need to see it. I like to get Wait, on. I, I hear it, rather. <laughs> the yeah, talkies. Uh, the other thing that's really good to do when you're working is get on Google Hangouts with other artists. And you can sort of, you can look over onto their 
screen, if they're sharing their screen or sharing whatever, and you can see what they're working on while you're working, and they're working, and you can talk about work. There you go. I could, you know, I got to be more, I think it would be fun to be more on Google Hangout. I've just been so busy. I chased my little guy around the afternoon. He doesn't let me settle down too much to work and, and hang out, but. Yeah, I mean, I said to you guys that we should, yeah. we should do a Google Hangout, and we never did. Yep. So that's your guys' fault, not mine, because I totally suggested it. <laughs> well, I'll be around tomorrow afternoon if you guys are up for it. I'll just uh, I'll just send me an email as to where I should go because so I haven't done I haven't done but one hangout in my life I don't even know <laughs> how to how to use it. But, yeah, uh, I don't either. We need to, one Google. of us needs to find out how to start a hangout, mm-hmm. and then and then the rest of us will come. I don't know how to either. I always go to I always find out who's hanging out and then I go to their hangout and join it. I've never started one. Man, we all we are all really bad at this. We're a bunch of old fogies. How's this happened? How did this happen? I don't know. I don't know. I feel old all the time these days. Like, I swear, it takes me half an hour to get out of bed. I get up, and I check to see if my teeth are still there. <laughs> like, if any of them have crumbled away during the night. And, and then I sit up, and if I feel dizzy, I lie down again for a while. I've become an early up. riser. I don't know. I mean, I get up at, like... 5.30 or 6, but it takes me a while yeah. to get moving. <laughs> she starts yeah. at 5.30 and is up at 6. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, I mean, you know. Yeah, so I, I start waking up at 5.30. I'm actually out of bed at 6 o'clock, and then I work. I mean, it's not like I'm sort of staying in bed till noon like uh, Kim Kardashian. Is that the celebrity who stays in bed really late? I don't know. I was doing a lot of 2 a.m. bedtimes, 2 or 3 a.m. bedtimes in the last couple of weeks just for all the deadline work I've had to do. And that's uh, just no way to live. It's no way to I'm go. I'm just worthless the day after if I even try to do that these days. I, I mean, I get up pretty early, so if I go to bed late, I'm just, I'm just worthless. And then there's birds on my balcony, so I can't really sleep in mm. because they make a noise. Well, like a lot of noise. Man, I've these because it's winter around here. I get up. I'm up before the sun, and now I start to do. I'll start my daily around that time. So it's, it could be around six a.m., six thirty, and yeah, I'll, that's when I end time. up doing one of these little ink drawings. You know, but uh, that's a, that's. I, I imagine it's earlier than a lot of folks <laughs> would prefer to start their day. But sometimes it's the only quiet hours I might get during the daytime. I don't know. I like to start my day as early as possible because then the light is in the sky for more of the work day. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like natural light when I'm working. I don't, you know, artificial light is all well and good, but it's not so. It's not so effective. I find it's harder to concentrate and see what's going on on the paper. So I like to get my day, especially in the winter. I like to get it started as early as possible just for that natural light. Hey, uh, Drew, I, I could ask you, man, what kind of lighting do you like to use? A, a particular type of bulb? Um, I haven't addressed that yet. Haven't addressed <laughs> that? Ah. Yeah. I've, I've done some research and mused about buying some better bulbs for my, my office. My my painting studio is an interior room, right, with no windows. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
Right now, I'm using the fluorescent bulbs that were in the fixture when I moved in. <laughs> Does, how, how would you say that affects your color perception? Or are you just kind of adjusted for it? Uh, it, it is clear. I, I photograph them generally in sort of diffuse natural light. Mm-hmm. And so there is a lot more red in some of my paintings than yeah. I expect. So you're probably compensating a little bit. Well, no, I, I I don't see the red because there's less red in, that, from the. That's what, I mean, what I mean to say yeah. is that you're, you're you, the light is providing you with certain information, and you're not seeing how you're pushing it further to red without realizing it because of the coolness yeah. of the light. Yep. Oh sure. So that is an issue. Kind of light coming out. It's called like a was it blue halogen or blue something or other that's it's going to be really good for artists, but right now it's really expensive. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would be keen to learn more if you could send us a link for the show notes. Hint, hint. Um, I have to ask my mother. I have to ask my mother about it again because I can't even remember exactly what it was. It's yeah. some kind of. It was like those power saver lights, but better, you know. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I buy those. Oh, I, I keep buying those freaking, you know, power saving l- lamps, like the natural light indoor lamp, uh-huh. that are supposed to last nine years. They do not last nine years. No, they've never lasted more than six months for me. They they last less than old lights used to. That is such complete BS that they were going to last forever. Yeah, and, and I, I'm a kind of person who tends to um, stupidly believe what I'm told by advertisements. Like, I bought <laughs> Dust Be Gone powder, or, or spray, rather. I bought this Dust Be Gone stuff. And it said that it repels dust, so you don't have to dust. So I bought it, and then I didn't dust for like six months. And then my mother visited, and she was horrified by how much dust it was on everything. And I was like, but I had this dust stuff that repels dust. And she's like, it's dust. It lands on things. How did you expect this stuff was going to repel dust? And I'm like, I don't know. I bought it. It said it repelled dust. It didn't repel dust. <laughs> does, uh, that was my fault. Does anybody here have experience with some of those full-spectrum bulbs? Have yes, I, I have one yeah. over my drawing table. That's the Ot light. Yeah. Oh, I know they make them for standard uh, lamps and what have you, too, now. I think they have, like, standard. Mm-hmm. I, I have a couple of uh, Ot lights, and I have some, uh, I think, some CFL, warm CFL lights as well. Mm-hmm. And I try to use them in balance to each other, you know, because one's skewing warm and another one's skewing cooler. But I'm wondering if I should maybe look at some of those full-spectrum bulbs, if they're, if they're ones mm-hmm. that have better approximate daylight. Well, the, the out light is supposed to be full spectrum. Yeah, hmm. it works fine for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, got a, I did get a Blue Max lamp for my wife for seasonal, you know, lack of sunlight issues. Uh, mm-hmm. And that seems to help, but I haven't uh, taken it up to my office and not given it back yet. <laughs> so I can't say how well it works for, for but. Uh, you know, so I think they're like CRI like ninety four or ninety eight something like that. So there's some good bulbs up out there. I just haven't settled on one. Mm. The per- choice paralysis. That's something <laughs> we fear to make the wrong decision. 
Yes. I will spend years not making the wrong decision. <laughs> I think you and I suffer from the same thing, man. Yeah. I'm thinking about eventually getting myself a Mustex scanner, uh, maybe like 11 by 17, because right now I'm working no small. I'm working typical uh, painting sizes for me right now are about 18 by 24. Yeah. I don't like to work much smaller than that. I've worked on 12 by 16 stock for certain cards, and now I'm thinking, nah, I kind of like working bigger because I, I don't like to get so tiny fiddly. With things, and I have to, you know, it cost me 30 bucks a whack to have them scanned in town. Yeah. You know, and That's it's, I tried scanning on my letter size, it's just not possible. Yeah. It's simply not possible. But, um, yeah, so maybe I'm thinking about, although I understand the Mustech, their color fidelity is not exactly <coughs> the, the, the prettiest thing. Yeah. I don't I know. the Epson large format scanner printers. Well, um, well I, I do remember picking one up for Drew. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel a little guilty right now. <laughs> oh, yes. I've, I found a. You got the price 17. of the century on that thing, man. Yeah. I found an 11 by 17 Epson scanner on Craigslist in New Hampshire and called Jeremy. I was like, dude, can you get this for me? <laughs> I was totally scooped. You got it for like 150 bucks. These <sighs> things retail for about 2000 Yeah. Wow. It's <laughs> yeah. actually a lot cheaper than that because it's not that good a printer, but the scanner is really good. So um, I was satisfied because all I use it when I use it for printing, all I use it for is printing out stuff that I sketched and then I couldn't be bothered carbon papering it over. So I just scanned it and printed it in very light gray. <laughs> what is that again, Sokar? Um, um, which scanner? Yeah. It's the Epson Workforce something or other. Okay. Is it a, a like, Is it a, an eleven by seventeen or is it? Um, I'm not sure how large it is exactly. Um, I, I think the largest you can scan is like the largest you can print. I think is thirteen by nineteen or something. Yeah. The largest you can scan is slightly smaller than that because there's a little bump. So okay. it's kind of, kind of annoying because I draw a lot of stuff. Or some stuff anyway that's just a little bit bigger than. So mm-hmm. I have to scan in two pieces. But two pieces isn't as bad as with like a regular scanner where you have to be like six or seven pieces. Yeah, I think it's funny we've gotten a, a lot of the technology that is just good enough these days, right? Mm-hmm. The the scanners that you can just buy now are better than the super expensive ones from when we started out. That's true. Yeah. Because see, Sokar's earlier comments about us all getting old. <laughs> Back in my day, you yeah. had to build your own scanner out of clay <laughs> and monkey dung. Monkey dung? <laughs> that was that the sounds, important ingredient. Hey, that, that added the third color receptor. The That's right, oh. the important brown. Uh, so uh, I have to ask, why... Uh, uh, how do I how do I phrase this? Um, what advantage does an eleven by seventeen scanner give you when you're doing paintings that are still a lot larger than that? I mean, you still have to. Well, I can scan in far fewer uh, pieces. 
Oh, okay. And assemble in Photoshop because it. you get some. You can get some color shift from scan to scan. Even across, even on a single painting, I've had to deal with situations mm-hmm. where it's, oh, I can't scan this. You know, for some reason, it's decided to alter its settings or it's perceiving this image differently on this corner of the painting versus this corner of the painting. I and, got, got some know. advice on that, Jeremy. Oh, actually. really? Yeah. Um, Scott Fisher said that if he only previews it once, mm-hmm. right? Don't preview it when you. Uh, after you reposition it, just use the one preview and then scan over and over again. Then it won't monkey with the color. Huh. Ah, interesting. So that might help. It might work. I don't know. That was, you know, an off the hand, off the cuff sort of tip. Oh yeah. Maybe that would help. That's an interesting tip. Wow. I, I kind of came to the conclusion that if you know, it's. I found for the lack of heartache, the thirty dollars seemed worth it. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think, you know, I think if I'm trying to bill myself at a certain amount per hour, thirty bucks, <laughs> you know, versus yeah. for me, a big piece can take just hours to yeah. piece together, and, and that's like so, well, how much money that does cost myself. You know. have, have you tried photographing them? Is that a well? I've never had much. I've never had very much success with photography when it comes to photographing my paintings. I just have so much trouble getting lighting and, and things of that sort. I, I have to make an investment. I think of proper lighting and have a place that can be situated that's uh, I don't have to monkey around with and set up all the time. Yeah, I just use I just use sunlight bouncing into the room. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't don't have a, a special setup or lights or anything like that. Uh, ah, okay. And do you just kind of monkey around in Photoshop to pump it up if you need to, and then? Yeah, yeah. Or I'll, I'll shoot it with a gray card and then shoot it without it. Hmm. Use a, a color balance on the gray card, but that that gets you most of the way there. Getting, in my experience, getting a good exposure gets me most of the way there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I've I've in the past uh, had good luck uh, just going outside during the golden hour, you know, when there's a lot of ambient light mm-hmm. uh, and no direct light and uh, just longer exposure, and that that's that's worked. Yeah, I uh, my my SLR is only a 10 megapixel. Yeah, which can be a, it can be a little. It's probably good enough for card art and for paperback sized prints. Oh yeah. But I'm wondering if I if I ever wanted to do anything more with the image, it's kind of uh, it's, it hamstrings me a little bit. But you know, size wise. Oh. Or you can you can shoot it in sections, just like you would scan it. True. Hmm. Then you just have to compensate for. Yeah, I've I've done that with the like the the Darth Vader. Princess Leia painting because it was so tall and narrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shot that in at least two sections. I think I did one that was just two with the the camera oriented portrait. Sure. And then I, I did like four or five sections horizontally do, 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 to try to get a really high res copy. Are you using a particular lens? Uh, I think I probably used my fifty millimeter macro. I might have used my seventy. I'm not sure. Hmm. But yeah, I've got a just a prime lens for it. I'm, depending on the, your system, it should be fairly easy to find a, a 50 millimeter. They used to be really, really common. Yeah, if you've got a Canon or an Icon, that'll be pretty easy. I have a, a Sigma, which makes me a weirdo. And uh, lens, lenses are a lot harder to come by. 
Yeah, you know, it was. Um, I have a Nikon, and it's uh, I forget the exact number on it, what, what model, but um, yeah. I tried to get it working with a trial uh, of uh, Lightroom because I wanted just to be able to quickly mm. do white balance, uh-huh. and it couldn't read the RAW file. Really? Yeah, it, it, for some reason, it would not read the RAW file. It was like one of the uns- it was one of those unsupported raw formats or something all I could get off were the (laughs) the JPEGs and JPEGs really aren't really all that adequate for what I need to do this was a Nikon it's really weird it was really strange you could use Nikon software to to spit out 16-bit TIFFs or something and work with those in Photoshop Hmm. that's what I have to do I'll have to give some I'll have to figure out how to best it would be nice to be able to just finish a painting at night take a snapshot send it to the publisher and not have to worry about getting into town for scanning and all that and just yep. take a snapshot and you're ready to go yeah uh, i like not needing to wait for it to dry yes <laughs> <laughs> not my, never a problem for me but if i ever wanted to monkey around with oils and yeah that puts a big damper on that whole idea I still I still fear oil paints for this at the moment. I'm okay with the acrylics, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They'll do the, do the job. Uh, I'm looking at the clock, and I need to go cook dinner. And I, I was get, just going to say something similar. I'm in the similar. same boat. i got to get my little guy some food for him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm swaying with him in my arm right now, and he's heavy. <laughs> but it That's has right. been a genuine pleasure. We should do this so, again sometime. Yeah, yes. at least three or four times a year. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. <laughs> or every month, even. <laughs> I'll see yeah. how. I'll I'll try not to take you know five months to get this one edited. Yeah. Well, you, Jeremy, you, none of us can give you a hard time about it because we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, notice all the grief we don't give you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta wait for a little guy to be at bed at some point, then I can do this proper like okay well uh shall we uh give our final salutations to the world and sign off indeed i'd like to thank you guys for joining us this week uh for this this quarter month <laughs> half every this six month anniversary special edition especially <laughs> we're getting the band back together tonight on a very special <laughs> episode of ninja mountain <laughs> I like so Carmile centered problems with dating. Hey, I never said anything about that during the show. I, I was just guessing. And then, and then you guys, and then you, then you like embarrass me. Guys, I'm gonna have to like mark this with spoiler alerts for Sons of Anarchy. I mean, what's going? What were you guys going? That conversation went down paths. I think we could just cut that part out. Yeah, probably. Nobody would complain. It wasn't even my fault. Well, I'd like to thank Sokar Miles. Thank you. At. And thank me. Uh, Drew Baker. Hi, I was Drew at DrewBaker.com, and I still am. Patrick McAvoy. I am also Patrick McAvoy at Megaflowgraphics.com, and check out 01publishing.com for information about my new Kickstarter. (laughs) (laughs) Kieran Yanner, who is died. Who fell asleep and hit his head on oh. his computer, and now he's brain dead. Oh. oh. <laughs>
And I'm Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. Thank you, guys. Let's cue the musication. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>